beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome to this exciting episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast. Exciting because I have been waiting to share some of these things with you. I have a few announcements that I have been sitting on that I've been just waiting for the right time, and now is the right time to tell you some of these things. And then the rest of the episode will be an Ask Me Anything segment. I haven't done one of these in ages and ages, and it feels exactly right right now to do an Ask Me Anything episode because... We will be all over the place today talking about all kinds of things, and I don't know about you, but for me, my attention span is a little shorter than usual right now, and so hitting a variety of topics today feels just exactly the right speed. And I put this out on social media about the questions that maybe I should answer on this episode, the ask me part of the ask me anything. And y'all came in hard with some truly amazing questions. Some of them were so good, I'm going to save them for future episodes. But there were also quite a few that I just think will be fun to talk about today for all kinds of reasons. 
And as the theme of the week will continue to be Ask Me Anything, if I didn't answer your question on the show or if you didn't get a chance to submit your question, then I will be in both the connection group on Facebook and on the Instagram page this week at 10 Things to Tell You, talking about all kinds of topics and answering questions, maybe giving some updates from past episodes, or having just a general grab bag feel for the week. It's like closing the loop on a lot of things. But first, let's start with the announcements. The first one you might have already noticed when you opened your podcast app today and pressed play on the show, hopefully you noticed we have a brand new look. 10 Things to Tell You has gotten a complete facelift from our podcast logo art, which you probably already saw, to our social media, to the website, which got a complete overhaul 10thingstotellyou.com. That's where you can find anything, by the way. Show notes for every single episode, blog posts that I reference sometimes, links to the various challenges we host, like 10 on the 10th or One Day HH. All of that stuff lives on the 10 Things to Tell You website, the number 10thingstotellyou.com. And now this space looks incredible. I worked with the wonderful women at Braid Creative. This is not sponsored. This is not perked. I paid for this, but they did such an amazing job. I've been wanting to work with Braid for years. Working with them for a rebranding has sort of been one of my aspirational things that I finally got the chance to do in 2020, and I could not be more pleased with how the process went, with how everything turned out. It looks amazing and professional and beautiful. And I'm so grateful that they were able to take all of my words and opinions and Pinterest boards and all the things and create a logo and branding art and all the things that they made for me. They really brought the whole vision that I have for this show and for the website to life. So I would love it if you would check that out. That is a very fun refresh. Okay, but the next announcement, this is the biggie. I am super excited to tell you about the pre-order bonuses for my book, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, 10 Questions to Take Your Friendships to the Next Level, my book, which comes out in February. Hundreds and hundreds of you have already pre-ordered it. I thank you so much for that. You can pre-order it as a hardback copy. You can pre-order it as a Kindle book. Read it on your Kindle if you want it to download on the day of release. Or, of course, you can also pre-order it as an audiobook. If you are not a huge reader, but you love to listen to this show, so you're very used to hearing my voice, maybe you want the audiobook version because I read it. I've actually already done it. I've already recorded it. I read the whole book that's the audiobook version. It's like a really, really long podcast. But I do want to warn you, if you buy this book as an audiobook to listen to it, you might end up wanting the hardcover version as well, if I do say so myself, because you might want to write in it. The book, like this show, asks a lot of questions, and you might just be in the mood to scribble down your answer. So those are the ways that you can pre-order my book and the announcement, 
portion of what I'm trying to tell you here is that I have bonuses for you if you pre-order goodies just for you. You just have to provide your pre-order number, which should be in any kind of confirmation email you get, no matter where you ordered it from. And then when you fill that in, you will be on the list to receive the pre-order bonuses. I have three pre-order bonuses for my book, Share Your Stuff. I'm excited about all three of them, truly, and all three of them are direct companions to the book, which is kind of fun. They all work together. It's all one big package deal. Of course, if you're only interested in one of them, it doesn't matter. You have access to all three. You pick and choose. But here's what they are. Number one seems like the most obvious and is also the most requested, and that is a journal. It's not just any journal, though. It's a companion journal with the book. So like I said, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First asks a lot of questions. This is a place where you can really engage with those questions. The same questions from the book are in the journal, but then also in the journal, I expand upon them a little more, just like I do on this show where I share different ways you could think about this question, different ways you could answer it. And then of course, because it's a journal, give you space to do so. I know it might not be 100% clear why this is so important because you haven't read the book yet, but I assure you having a companion journal with this book is going to be helpful. Like I said, it's already been requested from people who have gotten to read the book early. So that's the first bonus. A companion journal, it will be emailed to you, easy to download. It's pretty. You can print it. You can just use it as a jumping off board. That's all for you to have. Number two, the second pre-order bonus, which is something I am personally so invested in and have spent so much time creating for you already. If you pre-order Share Your Stuff, I'll go first, you will be given access to a private podcast feed. I've created a private podcast. Don't worry, you'll get instructions exactly how to add this feed to your existing podcast app. It'll just come up for you like any other podcast would. And this private podcast is called The Secret Tapes. Just like I have the secret posts, which is my email newsletter, things that I do not put or share anywhere else, these are the secret tapes. These are things I am not sharing anywhere else about the book and about the stories in the book. These are interviews with people who are in the book, interviews with my family, interviews with ex-boyfriends. So what I wanted out of the secret tapes is a private place to sort of talk through on a whole other level, some of the tender or funny or important things that I write about in the book. I'm sure I can't be the only one who, when I read a memoir or book of essays or any kind of nonfiction that has a lot of the author's personal experience in it, I always want to know more. Like I always think, well, I wonder what her family thought about her writing that down and publishing that story. (laughs) This is what the secret tapes are. This is the more. This is hearing directly from the people I wrote about. If they thought I was fair in my telling of that story, here's a spoiler alert. Not everyone agrees with every word I wrote, and they are not afraid to tell me on microphone. So I've been recording the interviews for the secret tapes for months, like literally since August or September, knowing that I wanted 
to have these conversations and that I wanted to share them with you, but I'm not going to put them out on the worldwide podcast web. These are going to be a bonus. Those are going to be called the secret tapes, and you can only listen to those interviews, those episodes when you order the book. The third and final bonus is something that I only decided I'm going to do in the last few weeks because I really think a book like this calls for it, and I think it would be fun and helpful, and that is a free book club for Share Your Stuff. We're going to have a free Facebook group that is a book club for the book where we go through the chapters and the prompts and the different questions that I bring up in the book, and we work through them together. Again, this won't be all about my stories, although I'm sure we'll touch on some of those as examples. This will be working through the book in a book club type way where we discuss the themes here, the prompts, the questions, the different ways you can answer for yourself. It'll be that type of book club, and it will run from February until the middle of March. It'll be about a six-week-long Share Your Stuff book club. We'll go through a couple of chapters a week. And I'm hoping, especially for people who do not feel that they have the kind of community in their life to talk about a book like this with, they don't have a friendship group that engages in this way, or they're not quite ready to engage in this way with their own friendship group. This is a place we can do it together. I'm really excited to talk through each chapter in the book, what each question really means, why I chose to tell the stories that I told, how you can share your own stories. The book club will be like a practice run of sharing maybe in your own life. And I think we'll really enjoy doing that together in a smaller, more intimate space where we can all engage. Okay, so those are the three pre-order incentives for my book, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. That's my main big announcement for you. You can sign up to receive all three of these when they are released in January. That's right. All of these will come straight to you in January before the book is released. But if you have already pre-ordered or if you know that you want to pre-order, you definitely want to sign up now so that you do not miss this. Go to shareyourstuffbook.com to learn more about the book, and there will be a button there for the pre-order bonuses. Shareyourstuffbook.com will have all the information you need. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com and use code U, Y-O-U. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, now let's get to the Ask Me Anything section of the show. A few themes that came up over and over again from people when I put the call out to Ask Me Anything. What did we want to talk about on this episode? Three main topics came up a lot. One was my changing belief systems, which I've referenced here, there, and everywhere, (laughs) that I have really changed belief systems politically, religiously, in a lot of ways in the last, I'd say decade, really in the last five or six years. So that question came up a lot. Mental health during the lockdown came up a lot. Some more anxiety stuff, some coping mechanisms. We'll talk about those. And then holiday traditions. This surprised me, but quite a few people asked about holiday traditions, especially given this unusual pandemic year. So those are the three things we're going to talk about first, and then I'll go into a little bit more of a rapid fire Q&A, including one of the best questions that I have gotten in a while. I mean, this question stopped me in my tracks. So we'll get to that along with a few other shorter answers. The first thing, my changing belief systems. So listen, I am not trying to be like coy or overly private about this. I feel like I have shared over the years in real time a little bit, like how I was changing and why and how. And then when someone asked me to sort of like put it into, you know, a packaged answer, just kind of sum it up, it's really overwhelming to me because this kind of change has been very slow and very deep. And it just doesn't do it justice to put it into like a three-part essay or a 20-minute podcast episode or something. You know, I did toy with doing a whole episode about this, maybe a bonus episode just for the people who are interested in this topic and those who are not can easily skip it without feeling like they're being preached to or, you know, subversively converted or something. And I was going to do that around the election because obviously that's when a lot of these feelings are coming out and when we're demanding explanations of one another. But the more I thought about it, the more I didn't want to put out that type of an episode around the election when emotions were so high, when it wasn't going to change hearts and minds in that moment, there comes this tipping point where we're all kind of looking for confirmation bias, right? Like when we're just feeling like open-hearted listening is not our mood in the moment. And so I just didn't want to contribute to the noise in that time when everyone is quick to misunderstand or quick to jump on a bandwagon that's already in their lane, or that's not a real saying, but you know what I mean? That is just not what I wanted to contribute when the moment was so fraught. But I do understand that a lot of people have also gone through their own changing belief systems and have felt really lonely in it. They're the only one in their family or their community, and it is helpful to them, to you, to us, to hear from anyone's perspective that they were able to change and survive to tell the tale. 
Because that's what's so scary about change, right? Is we don't know what it's going to look like on the other side. And so I think we're often looking for people that either reflect our own trajectory of change, or at least in the you know same direction we're going. And we're also looking for affirmation that it can be done and that you won't lose yourself, that you won't lose all your relationships, that you're not betraying who you deeply are when you choose to change. And so I think when people are asking me to tell them more about what changed, it's less about the facts on the ground, which are I was raised incredibly conservative, Republican. I chose to be very religious early on in my life. And that all of those things have shifted over time and they've shifted for different reasons. One of the earliest big shifts in my life came in my 20s when my oldest friend, one of my dearest, his name is Drew. He's been one of my best friends since I was in the third grade. When we were in our 20s, he told me he was gay. And that's an example of a change that happened in an instant. When Drew told me he was gay, what I believed about being gay changed in literal seconds, because I was standing face to face with someone I loved, who is in deep pain, and who I knew did not choose this. And faced with those three things, I unashamedly chose in that instant to believe in and fight for every ounce of equality that Drew deserved. That was a long time ago, nearly 20 years, and almost every other example of change in my life has not been like that has not been something that was such a lightning bolt of a revelation. Almost all other change in deep-rooted belief systems happens slowly. But what it does have in common with that moment with Drew is it is often accompanied by a real human in front of me and not something theoretical or something philosophical or what I want to be true about the world. But what is actually true in front of me. And then the next piece has been opening myself up to allow change, to allow growth in my life, which was not always true. My natural tendency is to dig in my heels on something, to double down, to look for absolutes, rights and wrongs and good and evil. It is easier for me to think like that. It was a process to learn that that isn't freedom. In fact, I was making myself sick and miserable by white-knuckling it and resisting change. I felt like for a long time that it was a moral value to stay the same. Like if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I thought if you started to let yourself change or be open to other points of view, that that was the fall for anything piece. That I was being manipulated or tricked. That the other side was always out to get me and I had to resist that at all costs. And that just wasn't and isn't true. I actually had a lot of anxiety around changing. But when I started to, like releasing my grip kind of one finger at a time, I noticed that I felt more peaceful when I started to let go of beliefs that I had only because I'd had them for so long. Upon examination, I didn't believe some of this stuff anymore. The first time that I said that out loud to my husband or a friend or my sister, the first time that I said that out loud, sort of testing the waters with someone safe and that I loved, and they weren't horror struck, it was such a relief to me. 
And I guess I do have more words on this than I thought I was going to say because there's so many angles to change, right? It really can affect your marriage, your relationship to your parents, your childhood self, your relationship within your community. If you're changing away from a community or towards a community, in my case, I was the fish out of water for a long time, being the only conservative person that I knew in Los Angeles. And that was something in itself that I took a lot of pride in. So when when I started to move towards the middle in that way, it was actually disconcerting to suddenly fit in in a community where I hadn't fit in as well before. That was a weird transition because I didn't feel as unique in some strange ways. But I know a lot of people, the opposite is true and that they are in families or regions or churches where they're changing belief systems, have them pivoting outward and away from somewhere they previously belonged. And I know that that involves a lot of pain. I've done that too. So anyway, I hear you, all of you who have asked me about my changing belief systems and wanting to know more about that. I can hear in your questions that you aren't really looking for a breakdown of how I voted, although I did share on social media freely how I voted, but really just want to understand the solidarity of what it means to change and how hard it is. And so, yeah, it is all of those things. I also got a lot of questions about mental health during the lockdown. Now, I don't know where you are listening from, but this week in Los Angeles, we are on a new lockdown order. Not as strict as the one in the spring where we were actually asked not to leave our house. This one is not that restrictive, but it is real life part of being in Los Angeles County right now. So Jen and Jill and Margaret and more ask me some versions of what are the top things you're doing to stay mentally well during the pandemic and what are your anxiety coping strategies? Well, I will tell you, it's been a mixed bag. On the one hand, I feel like I am getting more rest than I have ever gotten in like maybe my entire adulthood (laughs) because stay-at-home orders means that our schedule is just less full. We are doing very few errands, very few activities, no socialization. The kids are doing school at home. I'm doing work at home. And so I am not burning the midnight oil. I'm going to bed at a normal time and we're getting a bit of extra sleep because my kids don't have to be sitting in front of their computer for school until 8.15 a.m. And they're usually in pajama bottoms as they do so. So I have been getting eight hours of sleep, roughly, almost this entire year. And because lack of sleep and lack of rest and, and space and margin is my number one trigger for anxiety, when I'm too busy, when I'm not sleeping, all of those things really ramp up my mental health issues. And it has been more of a bonus, more of a positive than I even could have predicted to have this kind of sleep for this extended amount of time. In regular life, when I know that I'm having some anxiety flares and I really make an effort to get a lot of sleep for you know a few weeks or a month or whatever, and, I, and I'm real concerted about it, that works, that's important. But truly, it's been like you know nine months now of, for the most part, there's been exceptions, but for the most part, getting a lot of sleep. And it's I'm like a different person. I'm not even exaggerating to you. I am like a different human on consistent eight hours of sleep a night. I never want to go back on that point. I cannot even tell you how important that is. On the other hand, I am a real introvert. I am a very strong introvert. I like to be absolutely alone in absolute quiet, like stillness, silence. I'm the only person in a thousand feet radius or whatever. And that has not happened. 
I have been in the house or in a house with my children since March. We've not had a single day apart. We've had very few hours apart. And that really does matter for just feeling like I'm never alone. Now, we are not in a tiny space. We do have room in our home to spread out and be in different rooms. So that's a compromise. It's not the same as being alone, but it's very fortunate that we're not on top of one another. Still, it's a lot of time never being apart. (laughs) And so that has been hard. I can't say that I'm coping with my anxieties in any special way than I've ever talked about on this show before, like routine, rest, meditation, journaling, hydration. I can really let myself get dehydrated. And I am convinced that that makes me very anxious. And I usually don't realize it until I'm like days into it. Also, and I hope this doesn't sound too gross. I hope this just does not go too off the rails here. But I have to make a concerted effort to take care of personal hygiene when I'm not in my best mental health space. And this is even harder in a pandemic. This sort of naturally takes care of itself in regular life because you have to see people. So obviously you like try to look somewhat presentable, even if you're having a hard time. For me, going weeks and weeks without seeing anyone can very easily spiral into dirty hair, dirty house hot mess land. It's like my outsides are a reflection of how discombobulated I feel on the inside. And so this does not apply to people in like really deep throes of depression or anxiety, but for managing levels of anxiety, it really does make a big difference to me to wash my hair, put some makeup on, clean or organize something. None of these are new coping strategies, and all of these can be taken to an extreme one way or the other. So I hope that you're hearing when I say a person can easily become very obsessive about cleaning or hygiene in a way that is as equally unhealthy as a person who completely lets it all go. So for me, I have to live in some kind of normalcy here. And if I slip into not caring about personal hygiene or the cleanliness of my space, If I don't catch that, it will start to spiral into a way that's very unhealthy for me. So those are some real basics. And it just feels like this has been true with so much of 2020 in that while there's amped up anxiety around the pandemic or the election or things that are, you know, very much out of our control, there's also been some things that have been helpful to me, actually, things that I want to be mindful of going forward, not just the sleep thing, although that one's huge, but also having less on the schedule, automating some things in my life that I had never automated before, like grocery delivery and like other things that I had never splurged on or that I thought were too frivolous. But then now we have had to make certain accommodations or certain adjustments in our life. And I can see how much time or money or stress it saves me. And so, you know, I've learned a few lessons in that way you know, made some decisions, pulled some triggers on things that I probably would have talked myself out of in any other year or in any other time. Getting my website done, for example, is is one of those big things. I always wanted to do that. I was always hesitant to outsource that. I felt some kind of weird, misplaced pride in having done it all myself all these years and never having paid for that service. And once I did pay for it, I was like, holy Moses, this is why there are professionals and I am not a professional at this. And so there's been a few things like that in my life that I just, I had talked myself out of before 
this year, because I was saving money in one spot, I spent it in another spot, or I moved forward with a project that I never had time for before, or anything like that, those have been unexpected good bonuses and lessons personally and professionally. And I'm tying all this into the anxiety question because it actually really does apply. Taking certain things off of my plate and either outsourcing them or learning to do them differently because we are learning to live differently during this time, it has been amazing. I'll probably have more thoughts on that very thing by the end of the year, but it came out now. So here we are. Okay, lastly, among the big questions that I got from multiple people is about holiday traditions. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because is hearing about other people's holiday traditions the same as like looking at pictures of their vacations? <laughs> kind of, a little bit. I will say Jeff and I have been married 13 years and we have developed some really beautiful holiday traditions in that time. After we had our daughter, we spent a couple of years still with family traveling for the holidays, but then starting, I guess, in 2011, 2012, we have been home for Christmas every year. And most years we go to be with his family. We travel for Thanksgiving usually. This year in the pandemic, of course, we did not travel for Thanksgiving. And sadly, no one is traveling to see us for Christmas. So while we have been in our own home, we wanted the kids to wake up in their own beds for Christmas for the past eight-ish years. We've also had grandparents here almost every single year, either Jeff's parents most of the time, or my parents came for the first time ever last year and spent Christmas with us. And this year we will not have that. It will just be the four of us for Christmas. So not being with either of our families for the holidays is definitely bittersweet. However, most of our other holiday traditions I think will endure. Starting with, we decorated the tree over this past weekend and we have you know little things that we do around our home that are the same every single year. I decorate the same way every single year with the exact same things every single year. In fact, I had these little cute little Christmas tree, mini Christmas tree fake things that I keep by the door. They were shot after years and years of use and we finally threw them away and I ordered replacements that look exactly the same. Like I just have a way that I do Christmas at our house (laughs) and I think we all like it. In our house, we do a big fancy dress up Christmas Eve. I don't know what that's going to look like yet this year, but the overall rhythm of that is fancy, fancy Christmas Eve. Our friends that we spend that evening with who are like family to us, we open gifts from them and from each other, but that's the only thing we open. It's a, you know, really nice, lovely meal that we do. And then Christmas day, it's just our family. We stay in PJs all day. I make a fun brunch, including homemade waffles, which my mom made homemade waffles with the waffle iron on Christmas morning when I was growing up. We do that at our house. It's the only time that waffle iron gets out pretty much for the year. We have leftovers for lunch. Like Christmas day is jammies and presents because Santa came the night before and easiness. So I feel like most of that will hold in 2020. I don't feel like too many of our general traditions will be affected by the pandemic, except for the things that we do in our community, like shopping and, you know, going to see the lights and things like that probably won't happen this year. But other than that, I'm really hopeful to have a holiday that feels special and normal-ish. Okay, now I'm going to power through some of these questions that I got that are a little shorter 
but that I loved. I'm even going to share some of these on social media so that you can answer them for yourself because they're so good. Taylor in the 10 Things to Tell You Connection group, that's our Facebook group where we have a great little community in there. Taylor asked in there, and I just, this question just like stopped me in my tracks. What is your biggest everyday annoyance and why haven't you solved it? What, isn't that such a good question? (laughs) It reminded me a little bit of an episode I did at the beginning of the year. An episode I still think back to a lot and an episode I really loved, and it is called Where Are Your Band-Aids? It's episode 49. It came out in January, and it's basically talking about where are the band-aids in your life where you've just like temporarily fixed something that needs a more permanent fix. Go listen to that if you are interested. It's a really good one to end the year on, actually. But this question, what is your biggest daily annoyance and why haven't you solved it? I've been chewing on this for days. I think my answer here is dinner time. Dinner time right now is my biggest everyday annoyance. This hasn't always been true. I go through phases where I like to cook and that kind of thing. It's been a few years since that's been my truth, but I am annoyed every single day that we get to dinner and I don't have a plan. I've tried traditional meal planning. I mean, I've sort of tried it. It's hard for me because I have to be in the mood for certain things or I don't know, whatever. It just didn't necessarily work. But there are definitely ways that I could have solved this, and I just haven't. I could make a plan. I could outsource it. There are so many ways to do that these days with so many services that provide meals. I could, I could, I could. I never do. This is my biggest everyday annoyance. I'm annoyed that we always have to have a meal in the evening. I'm annoyed that I don't have a plan. I'm annoyed by what my choices are in the fridge. Like, this takes up more mental space than it should. And just having someone ask me the question really made me think about the fact that I need to solve it. So I'm going to put this one on social. I'm dying to hear what your thoughts are, not about dinner, but about your biggest everyday annoyance. Okay, next question from Beth. What were you hoping to learn in 2020 that you just haven't yet? Well, Beth, partly it's how to figure out dinner. (laughs) No, not really. What was I hoping to learn in 2020? Obviously, when I started this year, when all of us started this year, we were picturing something different than what has actually unfolded. And while I could list, you know, 10 pretty important things that I have learned this year, looking at this question closely, what was I hoping to learn that I haven't? This is kind of a good moment to talk about words of the year, which I've been meaning to bring up anyway. When you pick a word of the year that you sort of want to orient your life around or your mindset around like a word to kind of meditate on and hold on to throughout the year and kind of, you know, come back to when things get a little crazy. I don't always choose a word of the year, but I did for 2020. And that year was translate. I wasn't even totally sure what I meant by that word when I chose it, but I had some inklings kind of deep in my spirit. I had some inklings about what I thought that was going to mean. Remember when I chose it, I was still writing my book. You know, things looked pretty different for a lot of us a year ago. And so I really was hoping to use that word translate in a way that I just don't think really happened. I can twist this if I wanted to and look at some ways in which the word translate was perfect for this year, but not really. Like I know myself enough to know that what I wanted out of that word and what I wanted out of that idea, which was sort of, I was sort of 
trying to hone a skill set a little bit when I chose that word. And I do not think that happened. Definitely not to the best of my ability did that happen. So that is what I'm going to say. That is what I was hoping to learn in 2020, how to translate better, how to translate at all. And I just didn't. I don't really feel like I used that word in the way that I wanted to or in the way that it could have been used. I'm curious about this one for you too. Answering the original question, what were you hoping to learn in 2020 that you just haven't yet? Or any ruminations you have on your word of the year, if you chose one and how it worked out for you. (laughs) Melissa asks, I'd like to know how you made friends with strangers on the internet. This is a valid question. I actually could probably do a bonus on this and I might, but I'm including it here because I think this is important, especially in this time right now where a lot of us are extra lonely. We're more lonely than we knew we were going to be because of the moment that we're in. I made friends with strangers on the internet originally when I started my mommy blog. And it was different back then because instead of there being a comment section on social media posts, social media wasn't so much of a thing as it is now. You would comment on people's blogs and people's blog posts were usually quite personal and they were long. So if you were taking the time to read and respond to a person's blog post, and then they were taking the time to read and respond to your blog post, there was sort of a back and forth and definitely relationships sprung up out of that. When you were reading someone's blog pretty regularly, and these were personal blogs, mommy blogs mostly, you did feel like you were getting to know them and they you. When I had been doing that for a few months, I, or maybe, I mean, more than a few months, but when I've been doing that for a while occasionally someone would tentatively ask if I would want to meet up in person. So the first time this happened was with my friend Morgan. She wrote a mommy blog called The 818. And she was actually writing a lot about postpartum depression at the time. And that was really resonating with me. And so I felt like she was a safe person to meet at the park. We had daughters the exact same age. We lived in the same area-ish. And it did not feel like I was going to meet someone who was going to murder me, like just because we had gotten to know each other through our blogs. So we met at the park with our literal babies, like they were in baby carriages, and we became friends that way. Later in my blogging life, I mean, like probably even within that same year, I threw a party. It was actually a partnership with a brand, but I threw a party where people who read the blog were invited to come to the party. And quite a few people came. And so that was the first time that I got to meet people in person and made a few more friends that way. You know, once we met in person, that made a big difference. I also started going to blog conferences around this time. And yes, there was like a a conference element of like, there was a learning component to it. But really what they were, were excuses for bloggers. And these were mostly women bloggers that I was interacting with, could all come together for a long weekend and basically get to know one another. And I met a lot of friends that way. And at the time we had more in common than I had with some of my real life you know, regular non-blogger friends, because they were also trying to, you know, do something creative on the internet. They were also often new moms, which I felt really entrenched in that at the time. And then of course, they were also just interesting, smart, funny, strong women. And I was very attracted to that. So that's how I made friends on the internet. It's a little bit different now, but I see it happening. Mostly I see it happening in Facebook groups. I do know when I was part of the podcast, Sorta Awesome, they have an amazing, still, they have this amazing Facebook group called the Hangout Group for listeners of their show. And I have seen multiple friend groups sprout up out of that Facebook group. You know, the difference is then you often have to make the effort to then get together in person at some point and have a friend weekend or some kind of meetup. 
my business mastermind, which I've talked a lot about on the show. We also all met on the internet first, and we were all doing the same thing. We were all working on the internet. We had, you know, X, Y, and Z in common, but it really doesn't go to the next level until you are meeting either face-to-face in person or even face-to-face over Zoom or whatever, but where you are interacting in a way that is not public-facing. I think that's a big thing. That's what makes these relationships leap into real friendship is when you take it off the page where you originally met. So you either start your own group together, you start Voxing one another. Voxer app is something I talk about a lot. I love the Voxer app or Marco Polo app or emailing even old school texting. And then eventually, hopefully, if you're able to see one another in person, and that's when it becomes a real friendship. You know, when you're invested in a relationship differently than you are with someone that you chat with in a Facebook group or on a comment thread. Okay, I have more amazing questions, but I can see now that I am not going to have time for all of them. So let me get to a couple that I want to make sure and answer in this episode. Casey asked, how has it been since you shared your kids' names online? Okay, thank you for asking this, Casey. I have not addressed this on the podcast, I don't think, but I'm going to tell you quickly. My children are 11 and 9, and when my daughter was born in October of 2009, and I started my mommy blog in... 2010, this entire time, 11 years, I have not used my children's names online. Now, I made that decision way back then because I had some safety concerns. Like I wanted to put stuff out about motherhood and stuff on my blog, but I didn't want to just like give whole access to our family. And so it was sort of one of those things that I could keep for myself was their real names. Also, it was popular at the time to use like silly names for your kids instead of their real names. A lot of people were doing that. Well, it just went on and on for years, and I never used their name online. And I thought about it fairly frequently because I share them on my social media or whatever without using their names. And I was starting to get a little paranoid about people using their names in the comments, which did occasionally happen. Their names were listed on my husband's Wikipedia page as like Darlington and Diane. That's not their names, by the way. (laughs) It just was starting to get like weird and this like strange game that I didn't want to play anymore. Also, the biggest piece was that I wrote about them in my book. I used their real names. So it was going to be out there soon anyway. They are getting old enough now to have a say in what I post or do not post. And so I just knew this wasn't a thing I could keep a secret for forever. And so it was time. So I shared my children's names with the Secret Post subscribers, first in October, and then several weeks later, I shared it online on social media. And let me tell you something, it was a big deal for me to have kept this private for 11 years, but it was mostly a non-event for the entirety of the internet. (laughs) I knew this ahead of time. I knew that no one else cared about the sacredness of this as much as I did. And actually, I had long time readers or listeners and messaged and said that it did mean something to them to finally know their names after all this time. So I don't want to say that it didn't matter to anyone else, but like it was no big splash, I will say. It was almost like a, um, I don't know, like a passing of the torch in some way. That's not the right analogy. I don't know, but it was almost like this sort of private thing that came out publicly. I don't know. It's very strange to talk about. But thank you for asking because this has been... So lovely, actually, to use their names freely online or to not, you know, stress about if someone's going to use it in the comments or anything like that. It has been a 
a relief, actually. But it also feels like very authentic to not have to think about it or worry about, you know, keeping something very normal and obvious like their names off of the internet. So I'm glad I got to give a bit of an update on that. Okay, I got a few more questions about perspective shifts since I turned 40, what's bringing me joy, how do you move past feelings of jealousy, all good questions. I'm going to answer those on social media this week, probably on Instagram Live. If you want to check in, tune in to that. I also got a really great, thoughtful question from Candice about intuition, and I realized I have so much to say about intuition, especially right now and especially at the end of the year that we're going to do a whole episode about intuition, a topic that I like to revisit every few months. We're going to talk about that next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode that was a grab bag. I hope that you took something from it, a little nugget here or there, and I really hope that you liked the sound of the pre-order bonuses and that you will go pre-order my book, share your stuff, I'll go first, and then you will go claim your pre-order bonuses that will all be delivered to you in January the journal, the secret tapes podcast, and the share your stuff book club. All three of those things come into you in January. Go claim them now by going to shareyourstuffbook.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Happy holiday season. Go share something. just listen to the 10 things to tell you podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10 things to tell you.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 things to tell you. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.